uh, sixth week now, and we're looking in the book of John, which was uh, one of Jesus's closest friends. He was a guy that spent most of his life with Jesus. He was a guy that, uh, or spent most of Jesus, he was with Jesus for his life, and then, and then afterwards, he continued to follow Jesus, and he was a man that, that uh, to the very end of his days, wanted to tell people about Jesus, and he wrote uh, different books that we have in the Bible, and he pastored churches and and people tried to shut him up about talking about Jesus, but he always wanted people to know about Jesus because he was such a good friend of Jesus and wanted other people to know that same experience that he had. And in you know, a lot of the books in the Bible, they don't necessarily say, hey, I'm writing this book because of this. But John does tell us that, and he tells us why he writes the book. And he says he writes the book so that people would understand and know who Jesus is. That way they could have life with Jesus, which is the same kind of thing that he experienced. So really, I, I look at it as this guy that had this friendship with someone, and then is just saying, and maybe you've had a friend like this, man, you really have to know my friend. And he shares different collections of memories and stories and things that happened when he spent time with Jesus. And a lot of people are interested in Jesus. I mean, I think in some way, every, unless someone drugs you and you are um, under some sort of spell right now, um, you have an interest in Jesus. I, I mean, a lot of people have an interest in Jesus. A lot of people are drawn to Jesus for some reason. And there's different reasons that people are drawn to Jesus. When you think about your own life, what is it that interests you about Jesus? Or what is it that interests you about Christianity in general? Why is there a draw or an interest that you have? And and there is for, for, I believe, probably all of us. But in many ways, many, many people have this. Many people are interested in Jesus, whether it's because it's just an American thing or because that's how you were raised so there's some sort of interest in Jesus or maybe you have a friend and they talk about Jesus and say how much his life has affected their life and you go man that's interesting and so you're interested in Jesus that way or maybe you've read parts in the Bible and he seems like a good teacher or a good person or some of the ways that he upsets social norms and you go man I'm interested in him for some reason that a lot of people have an interest in Jesus and John knows this and yet One of the most dangerous things, one of the greatest threats or greatest problems to exploring Jesus or coming near to Jesus, one of the greatest problems or threats or dangers that can happen as you are interested in Jesus is not simply not coming to Jesus, but rather coming to him in the wrong way. That one of the greatest dangers that can happen is as people that are interested in Jesus is not simply saying, man, I have nothing to do with Jesus, but rather it's even more dangerous to come to him in the wrong way. And that's what John wants us to see tonight. And he tells us a story about people like us, people like many people in our city and many people in the world and many people in this country that have some interest in Jesus. And John doesn't want us to just be interested in him or even just to come to him, but rather to know what it means to come to him in the right way. And so we look at John chapter 6 tonight. If you don't have a Bible, you can have the one in front of you and you can keep that. You can take it home um, and read it. But uh, here here we go. This is John chapter 6. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. So a lot of people interested in him. A lot of people interested to see what he's about and what he's doing. Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Because he had healed some sick people. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. 
Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. This is about 20,000, 15,000, something like that people, just to get this picture in your mind. Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? So he sees all these hungry people coming to him. And Jesus looks at one of his disciples and says, uh, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? 20,000 hungry. Are you, if you're like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry right now. I mean, if you're like me, if you're hungry, it's not good, right? And Jesus sees 20,000 people that are hungry and he goes, where are we going to get some bread? And he said this to test him. So he asks his disciple Philip this question to test him because Jesus knows what he's going to do for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. That'd be a lot of money. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, hey, look, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about, about 5,000 in number, and this is where I get that number, 15, 20,000, is because it numbers the men, which most people say then there was about 20,000, 15,000 with women and children. So this, they, they go, what are we going to do to feed all these people? And one of the disciples grabs this little kid that has got his sack lunch of some dried fish probably and some bread, and he goes, I guess we could do something with this maybe. But this wouldn't ever even be close to enough. And Jesus says, okay, everybody sit down. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, so he prays, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So they say, man, this is the person that our scriptures have been telling us was going to come. And we need him to be our king. And we need him. And, and for them, what that meant is to take over Rome and to conquer Rome. So Jesus takes off into the mountain. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got in a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough. Because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened, as they should be, if you saw someone walking on the water. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So John, we'll, we'll read the rest of this chapter, but just in this beginning piece... John shows us some people that are really interested in Jesus, that thousands of people are coming to Jesus and following Jesus, even though they're hungry, they, they want to be around Jesus. And really in this passage, we see what does it actually mean to be a Christian? What does it actually mean to come to Jesus? This is what this passage is about. And you would have had thousands of people here, thousands of people that for some reason have an interest. Think younger people and older people and rich people and poor people. People that had heard from a friend something that Jesus had done. 
to heal someone. People that had maybe experienced something themselves. People that, people that were maybe just following the crowd and saying, man, something must be going on with this guy. People that had a suspicion that maybe he was the prophet and the person that they had been waiting for. There's all these people that have an interest in some reason in Jesus. And yet at the end, what we're going to see is that many of them after this are gone and they walk away. Thousands of people with a deep interest in Jesus, like you and like me. And yet at the end, many of them go away. Many of them leave. And this passage is really, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to come to Jesus in the way that he wants us to? What does it mean to do that? Because I'll just say this, Jesus wants you and wants me. He wants us, whether you're someone that's newly exploring Christianity or whether you're someone that's been around Christianity for a long time or thought about Jesus for a long time. He wants us to know what it really means to come to him. Because it's more dangerous to not come to Jesus at all than it is to come to him in the wrong way. And by dangerous, I mean for our spiritual health and for the experience that he wants us to have and for what life with him really is. So to do that, what we we will see in this passage starts with this. Who is Jesus? If we want to know what it means to come to Jesus, if we want to know what it means to actually be a Christian, we need to know first who is Jesus. And this is what he's going to tell these people, all these people that are interested in him. And these people, just like us, have a desire, and we talk about this often here, have a desire to experience life. And no one just wants to go, I exist. We all want to get to that point where whatever it is, we go, this is living, right? You may have had that experience over the weekend or in your life at some point or maybe often where you go, man, this is life. We all want that. Whatever that is, whenever you've felt that, whenever you've experienced that, we all want to go, ah, this is what it means to be alive, right? No one just wants to go, yeah, I just, I exist. I'm a human. Nine months in the womb, I'm out, I'm good, I exist. And we want to go, man, this is life. This is what it means to live. That's what we want, right? And to be intelligent, to live intelligently, to live with wisdom, means that we have to know where that's actually found, right? I mean, if, if we all desire not just to exist, but to rather experience, ah, this is life, this is what it means to live, if that's what we want, then to, to live with wisdom means we've got to figure out what does that actually consist of. Otherwise, we're just existing. And once we figure that out, we want to make sure we build our life around that. We want to go, man, this is what it means to live. And how can I figure out how, the, how I actually can live, not just exist? And then how do I build my life for that? And, I mean, here's what this means. It means if, if where it is actually found to go, ah, this is what it means to live. This is life. If it's found in getting married man, you better make sure you build your life to get married, right? I mean, if that's what it actually means to go, this is what it, finally, this is living, then you better get married. Or if it's found in uh, great travel and vacationing, then you better make sure. I mean, if that's where it's found, if that's where that experience of this is living, if that's where it's found is travel and vacation and fun, and if that's where it's found, man, you better make sure that you're able to get a job with flexibility, that you have a four-hour work week, that you're able to do all of that stuff, right? You better make sure, I mean, if that's where it's found. 
if it's found in success and if it's found in getting to the top or being the best in your particular career or if it's found in people respecting you or liking you, you better make sure that you build your life to go, "Ah, I've got it. So we all have that. We all desire that. We all want that. And to live intelligently means we better figure out where that actually is found and then build our life around it rather than just existing. So Jesus is talking to people like you and me that have that desire and that wanting and that experience because that's a human thing. It's not a new thing. But what Jesus says to them is there's something deeper and truer and better than where we often go for that. And here, here's what he says to these people after he crosses across the river to tell him who he is. It says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, so Jesus crossed the sea, the crowd's still over here. Remember, he took off into the mountains, skied down the side of it, and then got across. <laughs> I don't, I made that part up. Um, other side that been, uh, so the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum. So they're following after Jesus, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They're a little confused because they're like, there was one boat, but then... Somehow you're over there too, and they don't really get it. They don't know everything that happened about him walking on the water. Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now signs, that word, and and how John uses that word is a sign pointing to who Jesus really is. It doesn't just mean magic tricks. Jesus is saying, you're not coming to me because I did something, and you really know who I am. You're coming to me because... You ate your fill of the loaves. You're coming to me because I fed you and you want some more. And then he says this, do not work for the food that perishes. So he's, he's starting to go deeper versus just talking about the physical reality of food. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's him, will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So Jesus says, man, you're, you, I fed you, you liked that, and you want more. But don't just be working to get more food and craving for more food or things or experiences in this life. But for the food that the Father gives. And they go, okay, so what do we have to do to work for that? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. He says, it's not that you have to do all these things, it's you need to come to me and believe me. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. The Israelite people, when they were traveling through the desert, God provided them with bread that came from heaven. This is what they're referencing. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is telling them, he's telling us who he is in this passage. That these people, just like us, have this craving, this desire for, man, this is life. This is what it means to live. And Jesus is always going deeper when he's talking to people. Because he says, man, you're searching for bread and you're searching for water, but you're going to be hungry again and you're going to be thirsty again. But what if there's true bread and what if there's true water, he says? That what if that hungering and that thirsting is not for things that you can actually get here? What if those things are just, just a picture of something else? See, Jesus says he is true bread. And here's what he's saying. Anything that is made is always a reflection of the one that made it. I mean, this, this table is a reflection of some way in the, the craftsman that built it. Something of their artistic ability, something of their design um, appetite, or something of their skill. It's a reflection. And if I were to make one of these, it would be a fr- reflection of my lack of of skill and my lack of ability, but it would still be a reflection in some way of me. A musician that writes a song, it's a reflection in some way of them. If an artist paints a painting, these stained glass windows, it's everything that is made is in some way a reflection of the one that makes it. I mean, you obviously see this with a child that a parents that parents make. It's a reflection. All art, all creation, all things that are made are in some way a reflection of the one that makes them. But what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that everything the Father has made is a a picture of him. So he says, you look at bread and you you want bread and you're hungry for bread. That's a picture of true bread. It's a picture of what what God is like. Because he is the ultimate maker. That all God's gifts are a picture of what he is like and yet so many times we actually go to the picture for satisfaction we go to the picture and jesus says but there's something that picture points to here's here's how i think about this i was looking at my phone today and just looking at some of the pictures in my phone and here's a picture of um hanging lake you guys been there it's beautiful um but but what if i took this picture and just said man you know what i want to do today i want to I want to just be in some beautiful scenery today and go on a hike. And I just instead just stood here and looked at this. And I mean, it, it might be kind of pretty, but it's, I mean, it's not the same as actually being there. It's just a picture of it. Or this. I took this picture, too. This is food, if you didn't know. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's what that is. Okay, yes, it is. This is chicken, and these are some uh, gluten-free fried zucchini that my wife made from our garden. This is old. It's not, we don't have a garden growing right now, but some, that's some yellow stuff. And um, now I look at this picture and you go, man, that, that kind of looks good. 
what is, is this the same? I mean, if, if I started licking the screen, I mean, that'd be weird, right? I hope it wouldn't. That'd be weird. I mean, it'd be weird to start going, man, look at this food. This food is so great. And, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, set, if, if you came over for dinner and instead I just put this picture on your plate, you would go, that's kind of weird. Yeah, because it's, it's, a, it's a picture of the reality. Or this is a picture of my wife. Taken, well, it wasn't taken today, but I did the screenshot of today. And this is something of what my wife is like, right? It's something of what she's like. But it's a picture. And if I were to say, hey, you want to go on a date? And we started to wheel over here. You would go, that is weird, right? If you saw me at the movie and I brought this screen in. Or if I was kissed, you know, I won't keep going. But, you know, that it's weird, right? Like this is, it's something of what my wife is like, but it's a picture. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this. He says, you want to know who I am? Look at the world. Look at everything that God has made. Look at all the things that God has made, like bread and water and wine. Jesus does this throughout this book. Look at all the things that God has made. Those are a picture of what he's like, but they're not the real thing. They're still good because, I mean, a picture is still good. To have a picture of my wife or a picture of food, it's still good. But it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And what Jesus is saying is that craving that we have for life, that maybe we want in a spouse. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm the true spouse. You have a craving for love and affection. I, I'm, I'm more what you're looking for. That's a picture. Marriage is a good thing, but it's just a picture of the love that I have for you. Or you want to go to the mountains and enjoy the beautiful things. Those are a picture because they're a reflection of the one that made them. God made them, and so they're a reflection of him and his glory and his beauty. And so enjoy them, but but there's something even better. And Jesus says, you want a piece of bread, and bread is good, it's tasty, I made it for you. But there's something even better. I'm the true bread. See, what Jesus wants us to know is that he's not just a prophet, he's not just a teacher, but that he is, he is the true reality of everything that we look for here physically whether that's beauty or love or respect or whatever, or hunger, whatever it is. And Jesus compares himself to bread and says, man, this bread, is a, it's a crumb. But it's a crumb because it's flaked off of the actual loaf. It's a reflection. No one would grab a little crumb and go, man, this is awesome bread. You go, yeah, you get a taste of what that bread is like with a crumb, but not the whole thing. And Jesus says, come to me. Because I'm actually the fulfillment, the true reality of what it is that you're looking for. Here's what this means. Jesus is trying to tell us this. He shows us part of who he is that, you know, Jesus is, sometimes we get an impression, I think, of Jesus that he's always walking around telling people, this is wrong and you need to stop. This is wrong and you need to stop. Or that God is like that. Hey, this is bad and you need to stop doing that. And this is right and you need to start doing this. But the picture we get from John, Jesus' friend, is that he's not always walking around telling people this is wrong and this is right, but that mainly he's walking around saying, this is empty. It's empty, and there's something better that you could have. Why spend your life going after the crumbs when you could actually have the loaf? Why spend your life spending time with pictures when you could actually have the reality? 
Because what Jesus wants is not for us to pursue empty things, but to experience the actual reality, him. So John has given us a story of people that are interested in him, people that are interested in Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus tells to these people is, you need to know who I actually am. You need to know who I am. I'm the fulfillment of all the longings that you have. And those are good things. The mountain 